Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hi there, this is Fei Wu from Phase World Media. I have been embracing these little chats before the beginning of my longer form interview format episodes. And I feel like this is my one and only opportunity to connect with you no matter where you are in the world. Believe it or not, our listeners come from over 60 countries worldwide. And to me, that is just unbelievable. So. I don't know who you are, but if you're thinking about getting your voice, getting your message out there, podcasting is a great idea. So is producing videos on YouTube. I know many of us, uh, most of us have preferences for one or the other, or maybe even both. So definitely give it a shot. And many of you guys who are listening to this um, are brand new to the show. And that's something I never really anticipated. There are about 95% of the people who are listening to my podcast for the first time, at least according to the analytics that I can get my hands on. Um, So to me, that is very, very special. So uh, I just wanna give you a virtual hug. I hope you can feel that. And so today, well, I wanna welcome a very special guest. His name is Mark McGuinness. Mark is from um, London in England. I'm inviting Mark to talk about how to fulfill your potential creatively, personally, professionally, and financially. And the reason why I think this type of conversation, conversation, especially the authentic and real ones with you know tips and tricks and reflections and struggles are just so important because I don't think there are enough conversations like this out there floating in the market. Yet what you get instead are these sort of two minute, five minute spiel and you know whatever you see on social media and people counting money, people talking about how you can make your seven figures in a month. I mean, it sounds so silly, yet you know so many of us kind of just buy into that message and believe in it or rather just read it, consume it instead of listening to a real conversation of how these things work, how people, f- how people fail and how they're able to get up again. And um, you'll notice that I don't really edit these intros as much anymore, or I should say, uh, my producer, Herman. It's a decision that I feel like it's kind of weird, right? I'm recording this in my studio, but at the same time, I want to embrace imperfections. Uh, perhaps I just, I got a long way to go. Uh, I really do. I'm still learning and I stum- stumble on my word, uh, just like how it happened like two seconds ago. And when I listen to Seth Godin recording Akimbo, and he honestly says he records everything from scratch and he doesn't do almost like very little editing. And he doesn't even have a script. I don't have a script right now, but he just sounds like seamless, perfect to me uh, because he is a professional. He's been doing this for a long time. But I wanna show you guys that even for me, six years into doing this, man, I, I sound really raw. I got a lot of work to do. 
and my accent kicks in because English is my first language and that comes through really clearly when it's kind of unplanned, unscripted and when I feel a little nervous or because it's closer to midnight right now. Um, but hey guys, this is what this conversation is about. It's about honesty and connection and the ability of leaping forward even when you fear that you might just fall through the cracks or nobody gives a whatever about what you have to say, but remember to say it anyway. So, so much love for this community. If you want to consider subscribing to this podcast, awesome, because I've got a lot of content coming your way. Some of my content is a live stream, interview-based, um, and some of the other ones are, you know, personal reflections on lessons I've learned as a creative entrepreneur. Last but not least, follow us on YouTube. I started producing uh, video content religiously since September 2019. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made. So definitely welcome you to check it out. Without further ado, please welcome Mark McGinnis to the Face World podcast. Hey everybody, uh, this is Fei Wu from Face World Media and Face World Podcast. So today uh, I have a very, very special guest, uh, Mark McGinnis. Am I saying that correctly, Mark? You are, you're doing very well. Thank you, thank you. I was like, as soon as I, I had to introduce you, I realized I always confirm yeah. my guest's names and I didn't <laughs> do it this time. <laughs> oh, thank you, Mark. I'm so glad you are here. You are um, you know, you're uh, to me, you're a creative leader, you're a poet, you're a nonfiction writer, you're good friends with one of my favorite people in the world, Joanna Penn. And mm -hmm. I have so much to learn from you. On top of that, you're a creative coach. So for those of you guys out there, you know, writer, author, speaker, you know, uh, poet and artist, I am so thrilled to be introducing this conversation to you. And I've already given Mark the permission to use me as a guinea pig as needed. And, you know, we'll just get started and for us to, for everybody to learn more about what Mark does and how he's able to help creative people to really push through um, at the end of the day. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Faye. Lovely to be here. So we started talking about uh, Joanna and I didn't realize that she lives right down the street from you. I think it's just, it's wonderful. Um, and there are so many create you mentioned earlier before we hit recording you said the the privilege of knowing and getting to know other creative folks really enhance your work and to be able to have that conversation could you maybe talk a little bit more about that yeah i think this is a, so important because you know the more creative and original your path the fewer people like you there may are likely to be in wherever you grow up or maybe even where you live currently. And so the more important it is that you make an effort to find and hang out with people, you know, your kind of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I think you're doing such a great job here with, with this show, Faye, because you're, you're connecting people like us up with each other. I mean, before the internet came along, we were the only one in the village. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. And I think it's important, first of all, personally, because, you know, there's nothing like having a conversation with somebody who totally gets you and has the same values, the same mindset, not even necessarily the same 
creative discipline, but there's some kind of connection when you meet somebody who's living the creative life that you instinctively know. Um, and that's, that's half the fun, I think, is, mm -hmm. is the people you meet along the way. It's at least half the fun. Um, but also professionally, it's important as well, because these are people who will give, bring you buoyancy, who will bring you encouragement, who will bring you feedback. And also as well, you know, they're going to help you raise your game because you you see, well, if so-and-so's doing that, then, you know, I, I guess, I, you know, and, and that's amazing. And well, they've got two arms and two legs like me. It forces us all to show up at a higher level. So I think, you know, personally and professionally, it's really important that you find your people. Mm. Well, speaking of finding our people, your people, it's I feel like it's a lesson learned for me later in life. You know, even though I remember growing up and immediately you find your best friends, you invite kids to come over. I'm an only child, so I wouldn't naturally go mm -hmm. home and have my brothers and sister right there waiting for me. So choosing uh, friends who really, you know, I enjoy the company with and who really gets me was something that I learned earlier on. But I feel like um, later on in life as a professional, I lost that a little bit. I became the person where, you know, who went to work in consulting and advertising, assumed that everybody around me, near me, should naturally be my friends and we should think alike. And I didn't, I definitely find, uh, I found it really challenging because what I call relationship, relationship by proximity, you know, wasn't always by default or natu naturally, you know, how people resonate with you, your, your messaging. But until I stepped outside of that, started my own company, and join Seth Godin's L10BA, all of a sudden I start to feel everything you're describing, people from around the world, all different, you know, origins, skin colors and belief system, but yet they're making me a better person and challenging me the, the right way. Even at times it didn't feel, it, it felt uncomfortable almost, but then I mm -hmm. really started to grow. Hmm. Of course, the downside is um, I was talking to John, T. Unger about this once, who's an amazing artist who does extraordinary things. And he said, yeah, Mark, he said, you know, the internet is great because it means we get to, to, to meet up with people who are, you know, we were always the odd one out. He says, and now we've got friends. He said, the only thing is we're not quite as unique and special. You know, we weren't, you know, so the, so the ego has to be diminished a little bit. Yeah. The that, which is not a bad thing. So get into that a little bit more, Mark, because for example, I, I read your, um, you're, you're British and you're highly educated, right? There's, um, I love somebody wrote this description, I think as an opening for your book, um, highly intellectual and, and yet, you know, right now your work is connecting you to a really big variety of people, like you said, and now people have more access to you than say they were able to 10, 20 years ago. Um, so what is the, what is it like for you to vet the people you want to work with? So is, is, can I just so I understand the question, is it about being accessible or not being accessible? Being more is, accessible uh, to you. So well, it's interesting you mentioned the in intellectual stuff. I'm not really intellectual. I mean, I did. <laughs> so about 15 years ago, I went from doing a master's, which was where I discovered Seth Godin. I was studying creative and media enterprises. So it's like, a, like an MBA for the creative industries. And in the marketing module, I discovered this guy called Seth Godin. And he's talking about blogging, which I'd never heard of before, because my previous business was me in a telephone ringing people up and drumming up business, which 
was not an experience I wanted to, to repeat. And I read about Seth and he was saying, well, you put your ideas out into the world via the internet and then people will find you and connect with you. And this was actually simultaneously really exciting and really scary mm -hmm. because I'd gone from, you write academic text and you know your professor's going to go and look over it and say, so you say, well, I think this, but on the other hand, we need to take account of that. And of course, so-and-so has said this, and you hedge everything so that the professor can't, you know, say you're being too naive. And then I started blogging and I was being mentored by a guy called Brian Clark, who founded copyblogger.com. And one thing Brian said to me one day was, Mark, come off the fence, say what you think, put it out there. And that was quite liberating. And he said, I said, yeah, but what about the, you know, there's always another point of view. And he said, that's what the comments are for. Mm. That's what other blogs are for. You put your ideas out there and then we have a conversation. And actually that was really freeing and liberating and exciting and a little bit scary because you never quite know what's going to come back. But overall, it's been one of the best things I ever did was to actually, you know, come out of the library and put the ideas out into the world and, and put them at service of people and say, well, look, here's something that could help you. Mm. What, um, when did you start blogging? I'm trying to calculate 15 years ago. It was mm -hmm. Valentine's Day 2006. And I do like to think that I took my wife out and we did something nice in the evening that I didn't spend the whole day hunched <laughs> <laughs> over the blog. But I do remember it, it, it was that I look back one day. Um, and so blogging was kind of getting going then, mm -hmm. but it wasn't widely used as a business tool. And I came across Brian's blog, copyblogger.com, and he was talking about how to use a blog to sell. And that was kind of heretical in those days. He got a lot of flack for it, but I was kind of, I was, in, I was really curious about that. That was how I got, mm -hmm. um, that really helped me with my development about balancing putting stuff out there that's going to be helpful, but also being mindful that there's a business that I want it to be at the service of as well. Mm. I love where you're going with this. And because I started blogging right around 2014 when I started the podcast. And mm -hmm. it's interesting. I always tell people back then, people said, there's so many podcasts. English is not even your first language. You're a woman. Why would you want to start this? And it's so Everybody has a show already. And today people are like, oh my God, you've been podcasting for six years. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm so glad I did it. No matter how I, it made me feel terrible, very excited at times and terrible at times. I'm just so glad I, I did it and I put it out there. And I'm super interested in exploring the sort of the money and financial side of things related to our creative work. And I know you have a lot to say about that, but before we get there, I must say that when I interview someone who's not American, um, myself included, you know, Joanna, you, and and people from everywhere around the world, they they say that, you know what, Faye, this whole self-promotion thing, uh, marketing thing is kind of not a thing outside of the US. At least it wasn't clearly that way 10, 15, 20 years ago. Whereas I feel like people outside of the US see most Americans to be very comfortable with self-promotion as a part of their education, part of their upbringing. Did you ever feel that friction or discomfort when talking about your work, or even promoting your work? 
Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm British, I'm introverted, and I'm a poet. So yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and, but the thing is, and I kind of got this from Seth, is it's if you think about it as self-promotion, that, that just feels icky and awkward. But yeah. what I got from Seth was it's about sharing. It's about putting something out into the world. And, you know, when I'm working with a client and they go, oh, I don't like self-promotion, I say, great, just delete the self. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to promote, promote the work, promote the idea, promote the cause or the purpose, or, you know, the, really drill down into the big why you're doing this. And if you feeling uncomfortable is getting in the way of you doing your work and getting your message out there, then get out of the way. You know, because sometimes we have to feel uncomfortable and sometimes we have to, you know, I know there will be people each time I put something out thinking, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> um, you know, does he never shut up? You know, does, but you, you've kind of got to just make your peace with that. Some, whatever you do, somebody will think ill of you, you know, if you reach enough people, you know, statistically, but you've got to be just focused on what is the purpose and I'm going to serve that purpose. And if that means putting my latest book or my latest idea or my latest product or whatever it is out there, then, then go and do that because you know where you're coming from. Mm. Uh, when you mention statistically, that is so true uh, from what I learned about the YouTube channel uh, within the past six months that went from, I had hundred subscribers to now close to 9,000. And some of the videos, you know, some of the videos still have a hundred views and some of the videos have over 130,000 views. So the pattern, oh. I, I know to me, I've never had this kind of uh, visibility before, to be honest, even with a documentary on Amazon, you don't get that until, mm. like you said, Mark, um, creating something of value, really helping people uh, when it's urgent and important, such as creating tutorials for Zoom. <laughs> and uh, what I learned is, videos with 50, 100 views, either there's no comment at all, so there's no feedback, or as the video content becomes a little more popular, you get a couple of those, good job, great, thanks for doing this. And I like to see those. And then if you look at my 130,000 view mm -hmm. video, wow, like that is all kinds of feedback is rushing in from great, you never shut up, <laughs> who you supposed to be and uh you know or uh, it's so funny and there are common spams like i need a girlfriend i'm like oh okay you know it, all kinds of comments were rushed were rush in and you know one thing you mentioned seth Godin is like we all have the tendency to read the negative feedback sometimes like how how much he says how much can we learn from these one star reviews so in in your opinion mark when working with your client um how do we balance navigating different sorts of feedback and not get too bogged down on the negative ones? I think a lot of it is is what you've just said. You know, you look at statistically, the more visible you are, the more accessible you're going to be to somebody who doesn't like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're hardwired to be more sensitive to negative criticism. I think there was a, a evolutionary psychologist said, you know, we're descended from people who paid a lot of attention when there was a rustling noise in the bushes. Because the people who thought, that's probably all right, they're not around anymore. You know, they didn't pass on their genes. So, you know, we are hypersensitive by nature. And of course, those of us of the artistic persuasion, we have that even more. But, and part of it is just accepting, you know, some, it's gonna hurt sometimes because if it doesn't hurt, that means you didn't really put your heart into it. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, when people say, oh, don't take it personally, and you put your work out and people don't like it. Well, I mean, they're generally not artists because we put our heart and soul into it. Now, so in, on some level, it should be painful and it should be uncomfortable. But the good news is the more you do it, the more you, know, you do develop a thicker skin. And I think when you're looking at feedback, one of the number one questions that comes up for me and that I use a lot with clients is, well, who is this talking? What is their perspective? And what criteria are they using? Because, you know, if it's, I don't know, say a poem, for instance, and somebody says they don't like my poem, well, okay, that's fine. But, you know, if that person is a poet who, or an editor in the poetry world who really knows their stuff, and I really respect, I'm probably going to listen to that criticism a bit more sharply and say, well, you know, well, what is it that you don't like? Certainly if I'm talking to my mentor, Mimi Calvati, and she says, yeah, this isn't working. I'm going to pay a lot of attention there. Mm -hmm. If it's some random person on the internet who's just coming out with something insulting, you know, really, why, why, why would I listen to that voice? Mm. You know, that's, that's, that's noise, you know, but, but I think what you're looking for when it comes to feedback is what is the meaningful signal here? You know, if you've got a product and you're putting that out and this is your core audience and your people, and you think they're going to love it. And they're all saying, uh, kind of, kind of meh. And for this reason, and it's the same reason, then you want to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you will go out and do some kind of promotion and it's the wrong people or the wrong audience. And you've got to be alert to that rather than the, the feedback. So it, it's really sharpening up. Um, T.S. Eliot has this phrase to criticize the critic, which is kind of, you know, you're turning your own critical faculty on that source of feedback and saying, well, who is this? And what what is their judgment based on? And do I agree with that? Mm. I love how you broke it down. And I think even though, you know, I've spent 20 years in the U.S. and I notice when it comes to work life, uh, working for corporate America, let's just say, there are a lot of courses and conversations around how to deal with difficult conversations, how to deal with feedback. I must say that, again, through Seth Godin's course and through talking to you just now, um, there are so many ways to dissect feedback. And specifically, I remember there was a session on how to give and how to receive feedback. And that was uh, just super helpful to actually uh, break it down and to really practice that too. I think uh, as a creative person, there's so much of me reading a book and, and realize, oh, that's trivial or that's really apparent to accepting feedback and sitting down in conversations with people and understand where they're coming from. And um, so, that that is that is really helpful. Um, one thing, go ahead, Mark. Well, I was going to say, I really think you know the art of receiving feedback is something mm-hmm. that we don't hear enough about. Mm-hmm. And again, as creators, if we're professionals, you know, we are. It's our job to find feedback, and it's our job to handle it gracefully and professionally. So, particularly if you're in any kind of service industry and you're getting feedback from a client, or if you're on a team and you get it from your leader. Or indeed, if you're an entrepreneur, you're getting feedback from your audience, then whether or not you agree or disagree, I think it's important to listen and to show that you're listening. And very often you're dealing with people who maybe don't have your training 
and don't have your skills and don't have your ability to dissect and analyze. And they don't necessarily know what they mean. Well, I don't like, I don't like the, that color. Or, or, but if you can stop and you say to them, okay, this is important. I really want to understand your perspective, even if you're bristling and you want to defend. Mm -hmm. Stop and ask questions. Well, what is it that you don't like about it? What were you expecting that it doesn't have? Or what does it not have that you wanted? Or what, what is it about the, you know, I don't like the design. Well, okay, what about the design? Is it the shape? Is it the balance? Is it the color? Is it, you know, and very often you'll get it down to something really specific that's quite easy to fix. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or they haven't really understood why that's important. So you might say, well, would you like to know why I've done it that way? Mm -hmm. And if you genuinely listen to them, they're more likely to give you a hearing and you've, you've got the chance to come to there. So I think having that neutral space of just listening mm -hmm. before you defend before or, or attack or, or run away, I think is so important. So I really, you know, want to underline what you said about receiving feedback. Mm. This part you just nailed it because the biggest number one feedback I got from graduating from l MBA was that once Seth Godin's students kind of get dispersed into the real world after the program, everybody's biggest struggles, we are no longer around people who are just like us, who don't have the same training, who didn't go through l MBA. And that is yeah. the biggest struggle, as you said, of, whoa, the conversations is lasting longer and feels less uh, effective. What do we do? I think it's that patience and to, in a way that we become kind of a, a coach in a way, you know, in our professional and in our personal lives to kind of break it down and to be a good listener, which definitely takes training for sure. Well, apparently even the Buddha struggled with this after he was enlightened. So the story goes that he, he's enlightened and he's sat under this tree and he's had, you know, he's seen the meaning of life and existence and so on. And apparently the first thought came into his mind was, well, there's no way I can explain this. This cannot be taught. And then one of the gods came down and said, you know, oh, enlightened one, you know, could you do us a favor and go out there and have a go at explaining it? So he goes, all right, well, I'll give it a go. And then he went he went back to the, I think it was the deer garden where his friends were hanging out. And they said, oh, it's Siddhartha. I haven't seen you for a while. And they were saying, hang on, there's something, there's something different about you, isn't there? You look a bit, is, is it a new haircut? Or, you know, what, <laughs> what is it? And he said, I can't remember exactly what it is. It, it, in essence, he said, I am the enlightened one. Mm -hmm. And that was his first sermon. And it was a complete failure because they all looked at him and thought, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so he had to learn different ways to teach and get his idea across. So I often think, you know, if I don't quite get my message across first time, then, you know, we've all got to start somewhere, including, and this was literally after he was enlightened. So if even enlightened beings have, have a trouble, have an issue with this, I think maybe we can be a little forgiving of ourselves mm. and it. creative at finding new ways of getting the message across. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a little bit of a pivot here because we talk about how to be creative, but I also love the fact that you really step into the financial side of things. You're really comfortable talking about money with your clients in your book, on mm -hmm. uh, on podcasts in general, and it's can be a hard thing. And 
being enlightened and being connected and, and, and being more at peace with yourself is one thing. And then, you know, then we step into the real world. I love the example. I cracked up a few times listening to one of your podcasts, um, which you talk about where you, you're feeling good about your work. Then you go meet your family and then somebody start naming, oh, you know, uncle so-and-so, auntie so-and-so, you know, they're doing real, real well. They have yeah. a company credit card. They're making yeah. six or multi-six figures. What is that yeah. you're doing? How much are you getting paid? Like, how could people deal with that situation during holidays coming up? <laughs> well, <laughs> again, this is this is looking. This is partly what we were saying earlier on about keep your friends close. You know, don't take professional judgments from people who don't understand your profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the thing about criticism is you know, well, where's this person coming from? A lot of the time they're coming from concern. You know, what, what are you doing with your life? Are you, are you okay? Because shouldn't you be a bit more like Cousin Bill because he's got his stuff together? Mm-hmm. And But one of the things I say a lot to clients, and I put it in the book and on the podcast, is forget the career ladder because mm-hmm. there's no career ladder for people like us. We don't have the corner office and the fancy title and the, you know, the premium parking space and all of that. Instead of the career ladder, focus on creating assets. And I'm using that in a specific way. So, the, you know, traditionally the idea of assets is something like a company or a stock portfolio that you might buy or, a, you know, a property that you can generate rent from. And the idea of the asset is you own it and it will generate ongoing value mm-hmm. for you going forward. And as creatives, the amazing thing is we can create our own assets out of thin air. You know, we can create artworks, we can create products, we can create services, we can create companies. There's intellectual property in all of those things. And they help to build our reputation, Mm -hmm. our brand, if we're using American speak. (laughs) Then, and because of that, everything gets easier. You know, if you're Neil Gaiman or you're Stephen King or Kate Bush, then everybody wants to work with you. Everybody knows who who you are. If you want to do stuff because of your track record, because of your intellectual property, because of your reputation, that opens doors. Mm -hmm. And so the one thing I will say to creatives is if you want things to get easier, if you want more opportunity to come to you, financial and otherwise, if you want to have the satisfaction of building and having a sense of progress, ask yourself, what kind of assets could I create that will help me become the person that I want to be, to do the work that I want to do, and to put that out into the world? So if you're an author, then obviously it's going to be books. If you are an entrepreneur, then there's presumably some kind of product line. Um, Regardless of whatever else you do, you probably need some kind of media presence, like you've got, I mean, so for instance, Faye, your mm. podcast, think back to before you started it. Who had heard of you out in the big wide world? Nobody. Right? <laughs> and who was there telling you, you know, you should be doing this podcast? Have you have you delivered the next episode yet? Mm. Right at the beginning? Mm-hmm. It's just you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you, you created it. And I bet it wasn't easy. And I bet there were people around you who didn't get it. And I bet there were days when you thought, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> is, this, is this shouting into a void? <laughs> crying. <laughs> yeah. And yet, 
now it's it's a huge asset. You've got an audience that you are serving. You have got people who know who you are and value that and value your wisdom. You have got, um, I'm guessing, a wonderful network from all the guests and the people you've met through the show. Mm -hmm. And whatever you want to do next, the show is going to make it easier, right? Everything. Uh, it it yeah. just flows, right? And I, I know, Mark, you talk about energy, you talk about Tai Chi. And mm -hmm. it's just that there. I think you're, we talk about my ass and my documentary, but like you said, it's just part of the face world assets and then creates so much synergy and energy that just flows. And on days where I'm thinking, well, I don't need to do anything. And it just flows, the doors will open. Uh, yeah. And then it, it's just something I never saw coming. But I want to add one more thing, which is so many people come to me right now in 2020 and also 2019 to say, Faye, how many Twitter followers, how many Instagram followers do I need before I start my show? And first of all, I I want to laugh, but I, I try very hard not to. You don't need anything. You don't need social proof. You don't need your parents, your loved ones permission to do this. You don't need any listeners. You just do it. You build this thing and people will come or not, but you got to start somewhere. Like that's always the first question. People get stuck to say, I am nobody. Nobody knows me. Why should I start a podcast? And that's the hardest place to start from, but also the most exciting. Because the other thing about the podcast, for instance, is it wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you. Mm -hmm. The only person who decided that it needed to be made was you. Yeah. And you made it because it's something you wanted to make and you made it with love and dedication. And that's what's grown it. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that gives you a sense of autonomy, freedom, fulfillment, mm -hmm that you would never have got if someone had commissioned it. Mm -hmm. Someone, if, you, if you're doing it to fulfill a boss or a client or a professor's assignment or commission. Mm -hmm. And this is the, you know, the other thing, you know, the externally, it's good for your career or good for your business to have, I don't know, a, a podcast or books or a product range or a successful company or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But internally, gives you that sense of freedom and fulfillment that really is why we become creatives in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the bit that cousin George at Thanksgiving doesn't quite get is yeah. we're doing this because we it's, it's that there's an inner compulsion and an inner freedom. And the lovely thing is, you know, the first, your first attempt may well not work out. I mean, my first year of blogging, I was floundering. And I didn't really, I wasn't really getting traction, but I was convinced I was going to figure it out somehow. And eventually I did. But over time, that learning compounded. And so what I learned from writing that blog helped me launch a podcast, helped me launch books, helped me, um, it, my whole writing and thinking got a lot clearer just through mm -hmm. that process of having to explain stuff to an audience and noticing when they didn't get it and then noticing when they did and kind of calibrating from that. So mm -hmm. even if your first book isn't a bestseller, for instance, mm -hmm. you learn so much from doing that. And the, the most important thing you learn is that you can create something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And you've got that ability that so many, and so many people will be there to say, oh, isn't it amazing you wrote a book? Mm -hmm. And nobody, you know, they're all there at the finish line, which is as it should be, but they're never there when you're starting out. So, so yeah, if, if you're in that place and you're feeling, 
unsure, you're feeling scared, you're feeling maybe I'm too late, maybe everyone's already doing this or done this, mm-hmm. just relish that feeling that this this is the point where you start to create your own freedom. Mm. Creating your own freedom. I wish I actually gave this live stream this title. I might have to change that. But the the creating the freedom, as you mentioned, to not really like separating us as creatives to people who we enjoy climbing the corporate ladder. The ladder, by the way, I knew it wasn't for me since I was about 22, 23. It was so clear that that wasn't for mm. me, even though I was on trajectory, you know, as a younger person where even some family and, and friends thought Faye wants that corner office, maybe. I'm like, no, no, I have zero interest. But in terms of how I can create my own journey, I'm, I was really scared. I knew that's precisely what I needed, almost as a survival instinct um, that I wouldn't last in, in corporate America for much longer. So I just felt like the clock was ticking that I better figure this out. So, um, but I love something you said, uh, Mark, also in your book, you know, you don't get paid for suffering and working hard. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it puts a smile on my face that all the hard work that put into podcasting work on your book, um, just because you suffered, you worked hard, you danced with fear, embrace your emotional labor. No, people are not going to give you even a penny or a dollar for it. So, you know, what, what was it like for you, uh, going from blogging, seeing a not work out to, you know, wow, seeing that this can actually be an opportunity. What was that journey like for you? It was, it was exciting and also uncomfortable because there was a kind of a mismatch in my reality because in my head, this was going to be a success. And I was reading blogs and I was reading books and seeing people who were out there who were being successful at it. Um, so one of my early inspirations was seeing Steve Pavlina's blog and it had the headline, the tagline, personal development for smart people. And I remember thinking, and it was amazing. He was just writing all this stuff about articles about, you know, productivity and waking up early and personal development and just putting it out on the internet. And I thought, well, I could do personal development for creative people. Mm-hmm. And yet, so that was on the one hand, that was brave new world. But on the other hand, like people going, Mark, are you sure you want to spend all that time on, on online? Because, you know, and my, my ex-business partner, bless him, was like, Mark, that's valuable intellectual property. You should charge for that. Don't just give it away online. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but Seth Godin said, you know, you leave the trail of breadcrumbs and it will come back. And he said, I never heard of Seth Godin. <laughs> exactly. So many people haven't. <laughs> And yeah, I was in that space. And also there were a lot of people, like the commercial blogging in those days was really based on AdSense. And I realized that didn't feel like that was a model that was going to work for me. I didn't see many coaches blogging. Mm -hmm. And yet I thought I could figure this out. And one thing, actually, I think I read this on Darren Rouse's blog, Pro Blogger, where he said, because it's easy to be intimidated with the people with the big subscribers. And in those days, blogs always used to have subscriber count on the yeah, homepage. I, I and you go along and somebody's got 10,000 subscribers and I'd be like, I've got 23. <laughs> 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 but Darren said something. He said, look, don't compare yourself where you are now to where some blogger is who's been doing it for three years, five years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Compare this month's stats with last month. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I looked and I saw, well, you know, say 50 people read the blog 
last month. Well, it's 70 this month. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, and then it gets up to 150. And, you know, and he said, because as long, and then you can draw like a curve out, you can extrapolate. If that trend continues, look where you'll be. Mm -hmm. And I did it. And it was like, by the end of this year, I will have thousands of readers a month on the blog. And that seemed insane. Mm -hmm. But actually, it came true. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that's just passed that on from Darren is don't compare where you are now with where other people are who've been doing it for a long time. Compare where you are now with where you were yesterday mm -hmm. and then think about where you want to be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And if you keep focus on that, then you have the satisfaction of incremental improvement. Mm -hmm. But over time that will compound and suddenly you're in a completely different place. Mm. So how did you discover what would be the next piece of content to create and to, you know, to invite returning readers, um, viewers, and how did you build that creative ladder for yourself? What I realized was when I tried to be clever and insightful, like Seth Godin, <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. But when I shared something from my coaching practice. I mean, obviously not a detail of an individual client, but an idea that had worked with a few clients. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, look, I've struggled with this. I've, clients have struggled with this. Maybe you have too. And I put that out there and I just thought, let's just use it as a teaching tool. Mm -hmm. Those were the posts that started to take off and get shared and comments. And I don't think there was much Twitter in those days, but gradually I realized, oh, if I just treat this as a coaching tool, not a marketing tool, then it will work. And really since then I've, I've thought, and I got really got this from Brian Clark as well. Don't think of marketing as something that you have to do in order to promote the thing you really want to do. Mm -hmm. Just think of it as a way of extending your work into the world. So I'm a coach. So I start coaching my readers on the blog. Mm -hmm. If I'm an artist, put some art out on the blog. If you're a singer, put sing. If you're, um, I don't know, a consultant of some time, share your expertise. And then there's no, there's no mismatch. You know, there is, it's the same reality. And that, again, that's going to be emotionally sustainable as well as more valuable mm -hmm. because you, it's the kind of thing that you naturally want to do mm -hmm. and you'll therefore keep doing it. And going back to what you said earlier, there was also a, a tip I, I found really helpful is to pay attention to other people's comments and opinions where you can then draw themes or a very um, kind of maybe even a contradictory opinion somebody firmly believes in. And you can actually, you know, bring your, um, you know, whether it's research or your analysis to kind of break it down. Um, I think just paying attention to the questions people are asking often is where I draw my next piece of um, inspiration or content from. Uh, that can be really interesting as well. It's almost like once you create the piece of asset, whether it's a blog or a YouTube video, whatever it may be, the content starts to write itself. It's kind of, um, uh, it, it's kind of, it's really interesting. I never, I never thought about it that way. Um, a lot of people ask me, like, do I have to write 10, 20 titles, topics, just dream that up every month? Well, you might have to do that at the beginning, but then it just, I don't know how you feel, Mark, but I feel it just gets easier and easier. Yeah, you kind of get into a groove as to where the, the good ideas come from. So one, I think it's a, you've got a really great point that mm -hmm. very often your audience will teach you what you want to know. So my first book, Resilience, was all about rejection and criticism. 
And that was based on feedback I got. So I teach a free course via email and I just teach creative thinking and productivity and presentation skills and the kind of fundamentals that you need for a creative career. Mm. And near the end, I thought, because I had 25 lessons and then I thought, well, I guess I should do another, I should cover rejection and criticism because a lot of us have to deal with that as creatives. And that turned out to be one of the most popular ones on in the whole course. So when I asked people for their feedback, they were saying, can you tell us more about this? Because that's really important. Yeah. And some of them were saying, you know, you could write a whole book about this. And then, then the penny dropped. I thought, I could write a whole book about it. And I realized <laughs> I suddenly I knew a lot. I had a lot to say about that subject because I dealt with it myself and had helped a lot of clients with it, but I'd never really seen it as a discrete topic. So that was how my first book came to be written. Mm. Um, So that's one thing is feedback from the audience. And another thing that I think is so important, I'd be curious if this resonates for you, is what I call the art of overhearing yourself. So when I find myself saying the same thing to coaching clients over and over, after a while I go, okay, I'm repeating this because there's something in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by definition, it's the, it's the idea that's useful that I keep repeating it. I should write this down. So that turns into a blog post or a podcast segment or a book chapter or something. Mm-hmm. Um, even poems I can get from this, if I find myself telling the same anecdote to friends mm-hmm. over and over, I think, what is it about this? Why am I keep telling this story? And I've got a few poems out of that, mm. but because there's something that's caught, you know, so I would say, listen out for the thing that you keep repeating mm-hmm. and ask yourself, what's, what's this? What am I actually subconsciously telling myself here? I mean, is, do you ever find that, Faye? Yeah, I, I, as you're saying this, I'm already reflecting on the things that I talked to you about in this past 40 minutes or so, especially mm-hmm. the point where I explicitly said, oh, I've said this before, or, you know, I, I've right. used, it's crazy. Yeah. And I've used an example and I repeat myself, even to people who want to start a podcast, you don't need any audience. I, I repeat these things all the time because I feel like I'm literally just a few steps ahead of uh, you know, some of the creatives who are just getting started. I really, truly feel like mm. I'm not Seth Godin, clearly. I'm not Sarah Cooper. I'm just a few steps ahead of them. So I remember, not only I can see some of the mistakes they're making or some of the things that they're really doing right, even if mm-hmm. they don't themselves believe in, um, mm. that it, it's really it's really powerful. Um, one, one thing uh, Mark, you brought up is, you know, one thing people struggle with and ask me is, okay, you deliver these email, uh, you have, uh, let's say automation, you solve a problem over 25 emails and uh, create leads. And then there's that point where you want to start selling something, whether it's a paid course or paid consulting service to help people really level up to, you know, really reach their uh, new epiphany, so to speak. So how do you position yourself? How do you structure that message to start selling, to start charging? Because a lot of people is like, oh, money. Like, I want to do this for free, but I also need to get paid. It's just that transition. How, how, do, you, how do you message that or how do you manage it? I think it's important to really be aware of where you're coming from in relation to this. And I got this from my coach, Palek Top, who is a real... Uh, has a real masterful perspective on all of this. You know, he said, if you're coming from the place where you're fearful or you're trying to take Mm -hmm. 
from your audience or your client or whoever it is, people pick that up and you, you don't feel authentic. But really what money represents in this context is commitment. And the more they invest, the more they will get out of it. I mean, we've all had the experience of buying something and then thinking, well, I spent the money. I should, I should do the course or I should use the gym equipment or the membership or whatever it is. And I think in a very real sense, you can get what you pay for that. If something is free, then that's fine. But you, and you can get some value from it, but you get more value the more you invest. And money is just one way of investing. So the way I look at it is I think, and this isn't necessarily for everybody. You know, I'm thinking of the person that this is for, the person that this will really help. Mm-hmm. And I want to speak from a place of feeling, what can I give that person that will be even more valuable than the free stuff? Mm-hmm. And that will come with the price tag. And, you know, how can I make sure that they get more value than they're putting down in financial terms? And then the email or, or, or whatever is tends to kind of write itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's um, there are two a number of key points, but one is to actually give them more than what they paid for. Um, that's usually well, yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's two thousand, five thousand dollars to hire someone. But wow, that actually saved me so much time, headache, and now I'm just operating on a different plane altogether. And um, also for me to to realize that for years I was offering my digital marketing advice for free to you know sometimes friends and family you know it's 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 part of the um, the game and and I notice that when you don't charge some folks will find it you know will not really take free advice very seriously and they say they they thank you for for your time for your expertise but they they're not executing they're because it's free yeah. whereas. Recently, last year, um, my hourly rate went from 200, 250 to this year, I said, you know, that's it. People come find me from YouTube, it's $300 an hour. And I noticed the drastic change um, of people taking notes, they're paying attention, they're watching the clock, yeah. they're not rambling on, uh, they're get, they get to the point really quickly. And here's, here's the thing, Faye, what's it like for you as somebody who loves to serve, who loves to help, who really wants to see her advice mm. taken so that people benefit. What's it like for you when you're on a call with somebody and you see how they show up in the, at that level? Um, they're very engaged. They're eager to learn. And and I just, it feels really good when, right, like developing empathy as a creative yeah. person to realize, to, to focus on what other people need, you create these solutions. But for people to engage with you, I mean, the feedback, exactly as you've written your book, Mark, like people thrive and then they they feel really energized at the end of that call and they're taking actions. You get to see the results. Granted, they might schedule another call and be like, I'm all broken again. Uh, I need help, more help, but they're not broken. Uh, yeah, that that's a feeling I get. Yeah. And yeah. so what I'm hearing very strongly is you're there coming from that place of pure service that you mm-hmm. you want to help, you want them to get to the, the benefit. And the way you structure that relationship, including the money, including you have this access to me, this is what you need to, to do in order to get it, mm-hmm. that actually helps them. Mm-hmm. And when you when that penny drops, when you realize, oh, it's better for them mm-hmm. if they pay, if they want X because they will get more out of X, mm-hmm. 
then there's no conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very true. And they tell you, wow, that was half an hour for $150. I spend the entire weekend not finding the solution you just told me in 30 minutes. Um, And, you know, like exactly just the time, the frustration is worth so much more. And if anybody's listening to this and thinking, I don't know about that. I would invite you to think about a time when you paid some for some mm-hmm. version or the the deluxe version or the the bit more than you wanted to spend version, mm-hmm. and you were delighted because you realized, oh, <laughs> this is what first class service is really like, or this is what a really great product is really like, or this is what I don't know real diamonds look, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and. You see, that is the feeling that if you're providing real quality mm-hmm. that your customers, your clients can have. Mm-hmm. I can immediately think of a number of examples. And I it, it so it stands out too. For me as an immigrant, you know, for living in this country for 20 years, for the first number of years being in college, you, we didn't spend money, not just myself. I, I know other students, international students, who didn't spend money on anything. Really, yeah. it's a lot of suffering, a lot of hard working stuff. And then until one day you become an entrepreneur, you said, I want to have that VIP access. I want to sit next to those people. I want to spend $3,000 on Seth Godin's L10BA, even though I have all his books, you know, that I can yeah. read again and again for free. But once you get dropped in that community and being connected to the right people, wow, I, I don't know what it's worth. In fact, I, I'm going to use, this is not even a metaphor, this is a reality. During Seth Godin's L, uh, L10BA, I got hired by two people that I was in the same classroom or cohort in. Two people hired me and I made, you know, that was $10,000 a project came out during a four-week L10BA session and it continued from there since grad, you know, since graduation. And then talking to Seth, he's like, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> you know, it's, there's a lot, a lot of emotions. He probably gets that every day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And look, if you're watching the video, watch Faye, because the way she's talking, the way you're talking about this, you can tell this was a transformative experience for you mm-hmm. that I'm picking up. It got a level of confidence and clarity that has stayed with you. Mm. that I I can really see, you know, you play big when you join that group. Yeah, yeah, it did. But the expectation, I mean, I had high expectations, but even Mm. exceeded the expectation I had. I I had this vague um, kind of visual or like imagination about what could come out of that, you know, um, best worst case scenario. But it's what you end up learning from those experiences are, or, you know, for example, people working with you, I don't think they have the full picture going in. And it's during working with you coming out of that, they realize, wow, this is something. Yeah. 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 I mean, by definition, you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, this is one thing I will say to when I actually start work with a client, one thing I say was, well, look, you know, we're going to work on all the goals that you've told me about that you came for. But the number one thing we're going to work on is you. And this is the bit that it's really hard to describe up front because what I'm looking for is that this is going to be life-changing for you as a person. Mm-hmm. And by the time we're finishing, on some level, you've you've shifted your identity. You've You've stepped into a fuller version of yourself. You've discovered aspects of yourself that you haven't expressed up to this point Mm -hmm. and of course that's going to be a surprise Mm -hmm. so you know and i think this applies to to any creative 
activity. I mean, if you're painting a picture, you paint the picture to find out what it's going to be like. Mm -hmm. You know, if I write a book, it's to find out what I think about a subject mm -hmm. on some level. Because I don't know, I've got a vague idea of what it should be, but I, I'm going on a journey. There should mm -hmm. be a surprise. There should be a, mm. um, you know, a moment of insight, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, as well mm. as plenty of frustration and dead ends along the way. Yeah. But, you know, this that that whole unpredictably and uncertainty mm -hmm. of the creative life is what makes it scary, but also what makes it exciting. And you never get one without the other. Mm, love it. Love it. Oh, that makes me think about like traveling. We were, we went to um, London for a trip in late 2018. Everything was mm -hmm. wonderful, but I did not figure out the Airbnb situation because the, the housing in, in England is very different than what we're used to here. Um, and I also just, but that's what I remember are the dead ends, the, the things that didn't work out so well alongside of all the wonderful sightseeing and friends we meet mm. along the way. It is you really, you know, sometimes people say, oh, that was that was a wonderful trip, except and then people always do the but that part of the Airbnb. But I was like, look, that completes the trip. You will never forget that journey because of it. So um, I, I love um, it. Mark, the, is, there, is there any adventure is what makes it memorable? Yeah definitely is an adventure. Um, is there anything uh, that I haven't asked and that you're eager to share with my audience? Nothing off the top of my head. Is, is there anything that you would like to get from this conversation that you haven't got yet? I love it. And I have to tell you that um, one thing I was going to mention, you really answer a lot of my questions and thank you so much. I found myself uh, hearing your daily routine on another podcast where you talk about how you balance your personal professional life. And there's one bit that I loved so much is you mentioned the power of a standing desk. And I have uh -huh. to do you are you working from a standing desk right now? I, I am standing. I'm oh, you're standing. standing. Right yeah. So, so this, I this is my favorite toy. It, it, it goes up and down like that. Yeah, and uh, I usually podcast standing up because it's easier. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a great way to get out of the, um, you know, the hunched over mm. the desk, which, you know, we've all done too much of, I think, particularly as creatives. Mm, it's, it's huge. And uh, I am also I'm sitting uh, in front of a standing desk right now. Mm -hmm. And and then I love how you said, uh, you know, you press a button and it stands up and you said, no, the, the desk stands up, but you have to be, <laughs> you have to. Press the button and I stand up, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna stand you up. So, yeah, um, some days it takes a button, yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much, Mark. I, I think there's so much to explore in your work and I love your subtlety and, and you know, not everything is super jazz handsy, but I, every time. <laughs> this is Britain after all, folks. And then at the same time, I couldn't help. I found myself wanting to listen to like an hour, an hour and a half, two episodes you had with Joanna Penn. I just, I couldn't stop listening to it because. Oh, right. Yeah. On my podcast. Yeah. 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 So much yeah. to unpack. Um, so thank you for that.
This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team are chief editor and producer Herman Ceballos, associate producer Adam Leffert, social media and content manager Rose De Leon. Transcript editor Alina Ahmedova, and lastly myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening.